All debates are a series of arguments disagreeing over a central topic. In competitive debates, we normally call it a motion or a resolution, similar to a thesis. The motion suggests something that is different from the status quo, and the debate has a proposition or a government side as well as an opposition side around this thesis. If you're government, you're defending the thesis. You agree with the motion. If you're opposition, you disagree with the motion. You are defending the status quo, meaning the world as it is, or sometimes a different option. Exactly. So, unlike say a Twitter feed where everyone just has one-liners and it's quite simple argumentation, in competitive debating, it's a lot more structured as well as the arguments are usually a lot more robust. So, in essence. Um, argumentation is essentially the building blocks of debate. So today we will break down exactly how do you come up with points, as well as how to build an argument on this podcast. So hey everyone, welcome to the Debate One Hundred and One series of This House Wood, a podcast on all things debate related. I'm Nicole Chu, and I'm Noah Pino. Great. So before you can actually form an argument, you have to brainstorm different points and ideas. So Noah, how exactly do you come up with different points? So the first thing to know is that if you're doing competitive debate, the chances are that at least some of the time, if not all of the time, you will be debating motions impromptu, meaning you will get the topic without any ability to know about it in advance. You are not allowed to research this topic at all. It's just what you have in the time limit you have, usually like 15 minutes to half an hour before you start the debate. So. Obviously, being able to come up with a lot of points in the absence of being able to talk to anybody other than your partner for that round, no internet consultation, time pressure is really, really important, right? Like you can't understate how much you need to have more than one argument and more than one reason you think the motion is important. So, in my head, that's always step one. And what that also means is that you don't go ham on your first idea. You don't jump straight into preparing your arguments and writing out all of the things that you think. Could be related towards it. This is really important for BP too, by the way.、Um, as we mentioned last week, British Parliamentary has four teams, so you're going to need to have as a back half team, as a team that's going in the later part of the debate, a lot of options for arguments that you could talk about. So, a really, really important skill to have. In my mind, the best way to brainstorm is always to have a conversation, and it's always to just talk about. What you think about the topic in general terms, maybe specific details or thoughts that are not yet connected to an argument, and work from your brainstorm and build that eventually into points. Yeah. So actually, I would say like it's quite similar to essay writing, right? So before you actually write out your thesis and start writing your essay, you like to have an outline or a brainstorm page where you just throw out all the different ideas that you have. So I think in debate, it's quite similar to that, right? Yeah, I completely agree.、Um, I was actually going to say I think it's really similar to a lot of what you would do if you ever had to come up with multiple arguments or academic stuff. That's a great way of thinking about it. The other nice thing that you can think about though is that a really good way to make sure you have good points is to also be comfortable telling your partner, "I'm sorry, but that idea is dumb." Like you, in order to actually have good points. You can't like not everything you hit is going to be gold. Not everything you hit is going to be like the silver bullet that wins you the debate. So that's also really important: is being able to just be honest and open with your partner and throw out as many ideas as you can 
until you find the ones that actually work, whether those are entire arguments or just parts that you can then put together. Honesty is the best policy, right? <laughs> yeah. Honestly, if I am debating with somebody and I don't like their ideas, I just will say it. I care more about winning the debate than their feelings. When I'm in the debate mode, I'm in the zone. You got to just, you got to crank out those. Oh my God, Heather's like, this is a psychopath. You can't say that. But I did. I, this is going live. <laughs> okay, backtrack. Okay, so what are the two basic types of arguments that you can have? I think there are two very simple types of arguments that you can try to generate with your partner. And these are also great ways to think about how to take your brainstorm or your general thoughts and combine them. So you can do it in that, in that way too. I think the two ways are a principled argument and a practical argument. Principal arguments are about ethics and morals. So what is right or wrong? What is our obligation or not our obligation? Um, and how do we decide in ethical dilemmas? Practical arguments are all about what happens on the ground. What is the real life consequence of this policy? What would it look like in the real world? How do people experience things? So one of them is very abstract about um, how we should believe and how we should feel the other one is much more grounded and much more often example-oriented or um, very specific. Yeah, so say if we have a motion like this house would lower the voting age to 16. Principal argument might be that the younger voters are just as capable as the older population, for instance. And say a practical argument, on the other hand, we can say how there will be more civic engagement and how the politicians will have to cater towards the younger population. Right. So I think you could see from that example, what I really like about that is you have one where the principal argument that was just presented about being just as informed, that is something that is true regardless of what happens in the real world. So a good thing to think about it is you don't have to actually prove anything happening in the real world for a principled argument. That can often be the way that you spot the difference. So I think actually, though, we'll talk about practical arguments first, because not only are they easier to build, but they're also way more common. You'll also probably find that judges are intuitively, they like those arguments more, they'll reward them more heavily, and you just have so many options. So I think the basic parts of a practical argument are um, kind of a subthesis or a central point to that argument. Um, more specific than just your general overall team's position. If you think of it like, what is the difference between a Twitter argument that Nicole is talking about versus this? The difference is that you start with a tweet, but you actually build so much more afterwards. But the central idea is still the tweet. It's still the idea about, I guess, your thesis. What is the main idea you're trying to convey in this point? And after that, you then have to add a bunch of things to develop the argument more. You'll basically be trying to prove that subthesis the same as you try to prove the motion overall. I think the two main things that you generally have to prove, now you might hear things about like pale or like acronyms to remember that stuff. I find those actually really limiting. So I would recommend that no matter what your strategy is for remembering about having all the analysis, et cetera, just make sure you explain why your point is true and why your point is important. Wait, for those who don't know what pale is, would you mind explaining that before moving on? I will offer you this knowledge and then never use it. <laughs> so pale is point, analysis, example, impact, 
link. So, but why wouldn't you use it though? It sounds pretty legit. Okay, so so for those of you who have been following this podcast for a long time, which means the one episode before this, you know that I taught eight-year-olds how to debate this house with Ben Zeus. Pale is great for them because they can have one sentence to answer everything. So they can say like, my point is that um, animals should be free to roam. My analysis is that animals are territorial or like to migrate. My example is geese. <laughs> My impact is geese could migrate. <laughs> and the link is like, okay, and that means we should bad zoos. So it's great for it's great if you're starting out because it's like a checklist. Like if you answer what is your point, analysis, example, impact link, you cannot possibly like make a mistake or like a very obvious gap in judgment in the motion. But it's more to stop you from missing things than in my opinion it is to make you meet what you have to prove in the debate. And usually what you have to prove in the debate, at least at the level of us within an argument, is why the argument is true and why it's important. So you can definitely accomplish that with pale if that's something that you now want to use, that you've learned, or if that's something that you have been using so far. Um, just make sure that you're pushing it towards what I think are the real important parts of any argument. I mean, if you're making any argument at the dinner table, you better make sure it's right and you better make sure it's important or else like somebody's going to be yelling at you. It's pretty intuitive, but you got to actually make sure that you're doing that with all of your arguments. Yeah, exactly. So I would say like linking it back to say essay writing, for instance. So your point would essentially be your thesis statement. And for instance, like why it's true and why it's important that's where all the different illustrations and real life examples actually come in. So that's where the facts come into play. So it's in essence, essentially essay writing is like how you would form a debate argument. Yeah. The other thing that I think is part of practical arguments that is maybe now different from just essay writing or maybe not different, but a really different way of looking at how you write is once you have why your point is true, why it's important and your larger point, of course, you're going to find that where those arguments meet is the impact, which is how an individual actor, a person or like a government, a country, maybe like a group of people like women, for example, how they experience a consequence or benefit of the motion. And that's a really jarring way of thinking about giving arguments for people that are just coming from a background of writing essays, because you're not really used to being that explicit of things that sound really, really obvious. For example, this helps women face less discrimination. Like probably if you're writing an essay, that's the whole point of your essay, like it's implicit, right? So the impact is a bit jarring, seems weird and awkward to be saying things that are so obvious, but that's what the judges are looking for because that is basically the intersection of why your point is true and why your point is important is what the actual consequence was and how that affected somebody. So that is the end result that you always want to reach when you're giving a practical argument. And that, I think, is the thing that you're most likely to miss if you don't have a background in debate. Yeah, so I guess if we just bring in an example, um, in terms of the motion, this house would lower the voting age again. So a practical argument, say, is civic engagement. An impact for that could be the fact that 
16-year-olds are also imp- impacted and affected by the policies that the governments are going to make. So that is why we want more civic engagement. We want them to be also able to choose who is going to lead the country and who is going to actually form those policies. Exactly. So if you just did the checklist of what do you have, you have the larger point, which is 16-year-olds and above, I guess, 16 and 17-year-olds are still affected by policies and now there's more engagement. So why it's true, would you would just explain why politicians actually care about reaching out to these voters. And it would be because they're votes that will affect the outcomes of elections. You would also have to talk about, um, if you were talking about why it's true, you might have to talk about why it's true that the elections will change outcomes, but you can just follow that up as a simple next step. And then why it's important, you just have to talk about why it's important that we have youth who are engaged and why it's important that policy reflects them. And all that means in a debate argument context is being really, really explicit about where all those steps come in um, and telling the judge you're meeting those checkboxes. Again, it's going to sound very awkward at first when you do it, because to be honest, it is awkward for anybody to listen to who is not a debater and brainwashed into thinking that that's like what an objectively persuasive speech is. But it's honestly, analytically, really sound. And that's what you're going for when you're debating is not just sounding the most pretty, but actually making sure that your point, you know, passes the sniff test. So what about principal arguments? Principal arguments are a bit more tricky. And to be honest, I didn't really know. I knew what principled arguments were, but I didn't know how to actually like make principal arguments until I was like maybe second or third year, which means I was not good at this activity for a very long time. But principled <laughs> arguments are basically, they're very- did you win a lot of competitions even before that though? <laughs> not with principled arguments, baby. Uh, all right. Okay. <laughs> so I think a lot of the same analytical tools can be used for principled arguments. You obviously have to have a central point still, that like one word tweet, that like essay thesis header. You also are going to need to explain why your principle is true. So why it's true that you have an obligation. You'll have to explain why it's important. So why it's important that we obey our obligation instead of just doing what like maybe makes people the happiest. All of those things are still the same. The difference is that you don't have that impact that was really, really important for practical arguments in principled arguments. In principled arguments, the end result is that you talk about the ethical system we should use to judge the debate. You're talking about how we should view something to be right or wrong, necessary or unnecessary, or a violation of rights or not a violation of rights. But all of those are, in theory, independent from what actually happens. So as an example, you could have an obligate, like this is a very, very general abstract example. You might have a duty to help somebody, even if you know that that person will do something bad afterwards, right? So you might have to save somebody that is a bad person because you have a duty to save someone, even if that person is bad, right? So that would be an example of a principled argument because there is no impact. Like, yeah, I guess saving the person is an impact, but that would be the practical version of this argument. The principle is that you have a duty to do that thing, 
no matter what. I guess if you want to talk about like the legal perspective too, you can think of the principal argument as more of what are your say human rights? What are the Universal Declaration of Human Rights says about this certain topic? So, for instance, if you go back to voting rights, like lowering the voting age, I mean, then your right to vote, for instance, may be a point or an idea that you'll bring up in your principal argument. Yeah, and actually, I'm really glad you brought up like looking at charters, looking at human rights documents, because the easiest way that I learned how to build principled arguments as somebody who not only does not know anything about philosophy but also actively hates participation in the subject, I learned how to build principled arguments by just like saying like, "Ah, you see that principle, you see this principle, same principle," and you just <laughs> by analogy or I guess by comparison. Will say, well, if in this situation you had this principle, then all I have to do is explain that the situations are the same. Because if the situations are the same, then a principle that we all universally agree applies in one example has to apply in another. So my favorite is like, if you were stuck on a desert island, it would be principally justified for somebody to send a plane to come rescue you. Even though the global warming from that plane alone will cause more harm to human life in the long run than if you, as one individual, were left on an island, and then you just find some way to pretend that that's the same as what you're talking about. So, in essence, you're trying to weigh out、um, the principal versus the practical. Then, so you're saying, like, even if there are practical harms, for instance, we think that your principal. Right to life or whatnot is more important, so that's kind of what you're trying to get at. And that's um that's why the why your argument is important in both practical and principle is really important because eventually you're going to reach situations where you can't fully take down a point in refutation. We're talking about refutation or deconstructing your opponent's points in a later episode, but often what you're going to end up relying on is two points that are both kind of true. So which one do we think is a more important consideration as a judge? That is especially important when you're comparing a principled argument to a practical argument, because those arguments don't butt head on, because one of them doesn't have an impact, and the other one isn't an argument about how we should view the world. It's very difficult to compare those arguments unless you talked about which is a more important consideration. Yeah. So the ideal case then it sounds like it means that you have first a principal argument and then a practical argument as a second point. Is that right? Uh, yeah. I completely agree. I think the best cases are ones that have a mix of principal and practical. That being said, like you know, don't force principles if there's no serious principled argument. I'm not saying that because they're not important, but you know, sometimes your topic is narrow enough. That there isn't really going to be a principal disagreement. There isn't going to be a disagreement between what is right or wrong or justified or not. Right. So not everything is about ban zoos where animal rights hang in the balance. Sometimes it's just like, is it a good idea to abolish standardized testing? Are the principled arguments? I bet not ones that I'm running. So I don't really know if you have one there. But the ideal case is at least try to connect it to some kind of principle. And when in doubt, remember that. All practical arguments are also technically principled arguments. It's just it's a utilitarian principle, so an argument about what causes the most good, and even that itself is a principle. So make sure that you highlight that in your arguments if you don't have a principled argument.
Great. I think that's the perfect way to wrap it up. So thank you so much for joining us for the Debate 101 series again. Stay tuned for more on This House Wood. Please follow our podcast and our Instagram at THW Debate Podcast.